Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Hey guys, I'm glad you are listening to this podcast. I'm glad we have a podcast. I'm glad we can talk about Jesus and we are not harassed by anybody. We can just rejoice in the goodness of his word and uh, share in the fellowship that we have through Christ Jesus. I'm so glad that uh, you've chosen to spend your way, your time this way. Um, this podcast is going to be, of course, the time of the proclamation of the word from worship this last Sunday. We went through a chapter of Romans that um, some people pay too much attention to, a lot of people don't pay nearly uh, enough attention to. It's a a chapter about uh, future prophecy of the Jews being brought into the fold of the New Covenant community and how and why it is that God has chosen for the time being to allow the vast majority of Jews to be outside of the New Covenant. it's something that a lot of people don't see as directly related to their personal daily faith. However, uh, it answers a, what is a real problem. Uh, why is it that the Old Covenant people don't recognize the validity of the New Covenant or of our Savior Jesus Christ? So, um, of course, everything in Scripture is worthy of meditation. But this is, this is a little off the beaten path for me. I'm usually focusing on the more eminently practical stuff. This is, uh, this is it's practical, it's just not more eminent. It's not, it's not super like right in front of you needs to get addressed. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this time. A lot of people in worship, they spoke to me afterwards just saying, I'm glad we got to spend our time with that. That was helpful to me. So anyway, I hear my kids yelling in the background. I'm going to end this intro. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Now we've been going chapter by chapter through Romans and it's been a very rewarding journey. We're going to have a uh, not the hardest sermon today, but probably the weirdest because it deals with some end times prophecy. Um, and y'all know I'm not a big end times prophecy preacher. There are a lot of things that I think are just mysteries in the Bible, and I try and focus on the things that we can sink our teeth into and really have a command of. A lot of this, the, the times and places, is not known, but some of the particularities are known to us. And what we're talking about today continues this question of, why have the Jews not received Jesus as their promised Messiah? It's a big problem question. Christians don't like thinking about it because the thing is, if anybody should know who the promised Messiah would be, it should be the Jews, right? The Jews were given the covenants and the promises, the Old Testament scriptures. If they were given all of this knowledge and the Gentiles weren't, how come the Gentiles have largely received Christ and the Jews largely have not? Some people would be inclined to say because Jesus doesn't fit the bill. Jews, Jews will answer the question, Jesus does not fulfill our messianic expectations. And then Christians will look at the Old Testament and go, how does he not fulfill the messianic expectations? What do you need to see? So what, what, what explains Jews in general not following Jesus? Christians, you know, it is not satisfying when someone asks for a good question, asks a good question to just go, I don't know. And I know I just did that with the kids. I know I just, there are some questions that there is no answer to. But this question of why the Jews have not followed Jesus, the scriptures do answer. There is a solid answer in this chapter today. 
and it's something that I believe we should know and something that sets us up for an expectation in the future so that we see the signs of the times when they're coming. So that's, that's the setup I want to give for this. Um, are there any questions? We've been laying, we, we have 10 chapters that we've covered so far of foundation work. Has anybody been reflecting or chewing on anything so far that you think we should bring up right now? Explain it so that everybody's on the same page. I obviously do not have a manuscript I have to stick by. If anybody's just been, had something stuck in your craw for weeks, go ahead, holler it at me. I, I want to get it taken care of so we're all together. You know what I'm saying? All right, everybody perfectly understands Romans. This is great. This is ideal. That's what I'm going for. Okay, let's look at chapter 11. And then if something comes up, raise your hand. Please talk back to me. You know I'm not a super formal pastor. I want to, the whole point of this is so that you understand it, right? It's not so I'm up here acting so smart. Oh, look how smart our pastor is. I'm not that smart. There's a plain reading of the scripture we should all have because life is short, right? We need, if, if it's in here, is it necessary? If it's not in here, is it necessary? So this is the necessary stuff. And whether or not you find it interesting does not matter. It's, it's so silly. So many people today, oh, I just think it's so boring. Well, get over it. God wants you to know it. And sometimes people, they don't think it's boring. They just, it's really complicated. Well, you got to get over that too. This is the necessary stuff. Make room in your brain for it. Be thinking about it. Be praying about it. God will show you how to walk in truth with it, okay? That's what I'm doing up here. You're going to do whatever you're doing in the pew, but I'm, I'm very forcibly encouraging you to open your brain, engage this stuff, really chew on this meat so that it informs your life. All right, I've said all I can say. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Let's dive in. This is Paul writing, right? He says, I asked then, did God reject his people? When he's talking about his people, who's he talking about? The Jews. Remember, the Jews were the chosen people among all the nations of the world. God chose Abraham and his descendants as his chosen people. Well, did God reject them since they're not receiving Jesus? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? It's talking about in 1 Kings. If you haven't read 1 Kings, Elijah, Elijah was doing powerful things in the name of the Lord. At one point he faced off against hundreds of priests of Baal and beat them in a competition and then killed them all. And then uh, the, the, the wicked Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, she threatened his life and he ran away and he was so afraid. He said, God, there's nobody left. I'm the only faithful one, right? In that passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel, quote, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. What did God say to this? What was God's answer to him? Quote, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah didn't know about those guys. But God had preserved a righteous remnant that had not sold out the faith. Sometimes we feel like we're looking around and the church is falling apart and God's covenant community is not sustaining. And the reality is there are a lot of nominal Christians. They're Christians in name only. And a lot of them are falling away right now. But Christ is still victorious. And all the true Christians are not just standing up, but they stand stronger against the tides of the world. We might not see them, but God preserves a righteous remnant through the times of trial. And what about the Jews? Have the Jews come to Jesus yet? No, but in every era, there has been a righteous remnant of Jews who have recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And even today, there are Jews 
often called Messianic Jews, who, because of their Old Testament knowledge, read the New Testament, talk to Christians, and come to understand that Jesus was the foretold Messiah. It does happen. It's happened all the way along. It's just not a majority thing. There's a righteous remnant throughout the ages. Verse 5, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. A remnant is a part left over. So the whole is messed up, but there's a part left over that's not. And it's chosen by grace. Anybody remember what grace is? Good job, preacher's daughter. Okay, the undeserved free gift of God. So can you earn your salvation? Is there anything you can do to put God in your debt where he has to give you salvation? No. God gives you salvation by his grace. And it's the faith he gives you that saves you. It's by faith alone that you can be saved. And it's not by your works. He's been very clear about this. So that none may boast, right? Verse 6. And it is by grace... And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. This is a foundation that's been well laid. He's just building on top of it again. Verse 7, what then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. What were they seeking? Salvation. They were seeking the Messiah. They were seeking to receive salvation through God, and then salvation came, and they didn't receive it. It's scandalous. I'm not, I'm not smiling because it's funny. I'm smiling because it's crazy. Why would God not bring the Jews into his embrace? What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. So this term elect is the ones that God has chosen to extend his grace to. So the notion here is that he didn't give his grace to all the Jews, only some. Why? This seems terribly unjust, doesn't it? Why would God choose some over others? Why do some suffer today and not others? You see how I'm tying this to the children's sermon? How is God just when some people suffer so terribly and others have it so easy? Verse, what is that, eight? As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. That's the same root as stupid. It means they, they're not comprehending. Eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. You see, that is from Deuteronomy right there, right? God gave them these eyes that don't work, ears that don't work, a mind that doesn't work, so that they can't receive Christ. Verse 9, and David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. He's saying what's happening right now with the Jews, what's been happening, is a fulfillment of prophecy that God would blind them, strike them dumb, so that they would not receive the Messiah. This is problematic. For those of us who want a just God, who does all things for the good of those who love him, well, this seems like a wicked thing. These are people who would otherwise receive the Messiah, right? And yet God is making it so they don't. This is a very strange thing. What possible explanation could there be for God doing such a thing? I'm trying to build a hunger in you so that when we get it answered, you're going, oh, good. Because there is a good answer for this. Verse 11, again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Who's they here? Who's he talking about? The Jews. Did they stumble so that they're just screwed forever? They're just gone. They're done. Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Who's the Gentiles? He's saying that because of what Israel's going through, you and I can be saved. 
He's saying, and we're going to hear a lot more about this, because God has, has darkened their eyes, blocked their ears, made them unable to receive Jesus, that's what allows us now to be saved. And he's using scriptural language from the Old Testament where God threatens, because you have disrespected me, I'm going to lift up a people who are not a people to be my people. He threatens that he's going to make the Jews jealous with us. So God is using us to make the Jews envious, so they then step up their game. So we're going we're gonna to see this more. Verse 12. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? So now this is a foreshadowing of a future day where all the Jews will be included, brought into the household of God. So there are stages in God's plan here. This stage is that the Jews do not receive Christ except for a righteous remnant. The next stage is where all the Jews come into the fold. He's going to talk more about this. I'm talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I'm apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry. In the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. So he said in other places, God has not abandoned the Jews. God is going to save the Jews. Paul is not rejoicing that the Jews are alien from Jesus. He wants their salvation. Even so, he's clear that many are not receiving Christ, and that's a big, bad deal. And he's saying the Gentiles are being used to spur them on towards envy so that they can step up their game. Is envy always bad? Actually, no. In the, in the Old Testament, yes, thou shalt not covet, but sometimes being envious of, you know, is it wrong for me to go, oh, Vicki has such a rich prayer life. I, I wish I could just be as prayerful as her. Am I sinning by desiring to be a good prayer like my sister? That's kind of a silly idea. No, envy in that sense would spur beyond, I mean, is there anything bad that's going to happen if I pray more? No, that's silly. So sometimes it's good to envy those who are close to God, who are closer to God than I want to be. Envy can make me move in the direction I want to. Verse 15, for if their rejection, the Jews' rejection, brought reconciliation to the world, he's saying it did, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So in the end, we're told in Revelation, there is going to be a general revel uh, 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 resurrection where all the dead are raised and welcomed into the kingdom of God. And he's saying, the Jews being brought into the fold is going to consummate that, is going to bring about that. Verse 16, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits only is holy, well, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Did Christians come out of nowhere or did we come out of another tradition? What tradition did we come out of? The Jewish tradition. That's the dough that we came out of. And he's saying, if we're holy, then the, the dough we came out of is holy. Or if we are a tree, we're branches, but we're tied to a root, the root would be the Jewish faith. Well, if we're holy, then so is the Jewish faith. Verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off, so we're using this metaphor of a tree now, right? Imagine an olive tree. Some of the branches have been broken off. And you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. This is a metaphor he's running with. Do you all know what grafting is? Grafting is when you, uh, you break off a part of it. I've never done it, so I'm just mansplaining, garden-splaining, whatever. You can take a part of a plant and attach it 
to an open part of another plant and it can kind of plug in and get sap from it and, and get nurture, nurture from that. So he's saying that's what you and I are. We are all wild olive branches. We're like, um, uh, we're like, and the Jews would, would hate this comparison, but you know how like pigs are nice and uh, sweet when they're domesticated, sort of, but then when they get loose, they turn into these monsters, right? He's saying we're like feral wild hogs that somebody just chased off their domestic pigs and they brought us in and we're making it work somehow, right? And you really can't make that work with a wild hog, but that's kind of how you and I, Gentiles, we're not, we weren't prepared like the Jews. So we're like this wild olive branch that got, they, God broke off part of his branch from his tree and he put us there and he has grafted us in now. We should not be living here. This is not our place, but God made a place for us. Is that a good thing? It's a scandalously wonderful thing. We're not getting what we deserve. We're getting a blessing we don't deserve. Verse 18. Do not consider yourself to be superior to your, those other branches, the branches that got broke off. We might sit here and go, well, God didn't like those branches. He liked me. I'm pretty great. Those Jews are pretty bad. He's saying, don't do that. Do not do that. Those, are, those branches that got broke off are holy. He already said that. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root. You don't support the root. But the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith, right? Do not be arrogant. Tremble. What kind of people tremble? What, how are you feeling when you tremble? Afraid. He's saying you should be afraid and humble. You should not be cocky. You should not be entitled. You shouldn't be walking around with your chest out. Oh, I'm so much better than a Jew. Oh, my church is so much better than the synagogue down the street. Or, oh, my church is so much better than another church. If your faith is causing you to be cocky, you're doing it wrong. It should cause you to be humble and appreciative and thankful. You should know this is a blessing you don't deserve. Verse 21, for if God did not spare the natu natural branches, he will not spare you either. This is one of those, those texts that makes me pretty confident that people can lose their salvation. I know there's a lot of people who say you can't. Once you get it, you can never lose it. There's nothing you can do. Well, if the Jews lost theirs, why on earth could we not lose ours? That's, he's directly saying, what, what was it that the Jews did that, that made them lose theirs? He said it right there in verse 20, right? It was their unbelief. But they were broken off because of unbelief. Now, are there ever people who are close to the Lord for a season and they believe in him and then they fall away? Does that ever happen? Absolutely. Yes, it does. And there are some people who say, well, they were never close at all to begin with. And I think that's entirely disingenuous. You know, that's like saying that when I married my wife, if I don't love her today, well, then I never loved her to begin with. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Everybody, well, not everybody, 99.9% .9 of people who get married love each other when they get married. They don't get to 10 years later go, I'm miserable in marriage, so I guess I never loved you. Why do we get to do that about God? That makes no sense. It's just something that we say to comfort ourselves, so we just don't imagine that we can... We can make any decisions that can screw this up. And what this scripture is doing is making it so you realize you can screw this up. If God was willing to tear off the branches that belong there, why do you feel like you are sitting so pretty? Oh, God loves me so much. He could never part with me. 
Do you imagine how much he loves the Jews? Can you imagine how much he loves the Jews? Why on earth would he love you more? He loves us all the same. I'm not saying he doesn't love you. I'm saying that his love for you does not keep him from punishing you when you deserve it. It does not keep him from recognizing when you're being an unfaithful covenant partner. There are so many people who take for granted, yes, I'm persisting in sin. Yes, I'm not repenting, but God's not going to cut me off. Well, if that's the case, why is this written? It's just messing with you? You think God had people write down the scriptures just to mess with you? He means this. You can and will be broken off if you are unfaithful. And God will be well within his rights to do it. Verse 22, consider therefore the kindness. Is God kind? Yes. Kindness and sternness of God. Is he kind and stern? Absolutely. It's not one or the other. It's both and. And if you have a hard time with fitting that in your brain, it's because you have a silly human brain like mine. But God is kind and stern. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fall, who fell, but kindness to you. Remember, you're here because you're a friend of God, right? You have forsaken yourself and you're walking in his ways or at least you're thinking about it. God will be kind to you if you're faithful with him. He will give you that faith. If you walk in that faith, everything's going to be okay. You can trust in God. You're standing on those promises. If you're not faithful... You shouldn't take comfort. You should tremble. And so he says, kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness. It's that perseverance, that endurance. It's conditional. He's saying God isn't going to be good to you no matter what. If you continue in his kindness, yes, he will be kind to you. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. I feel like I already made that case strong enough. I don't need to keep preaching on that, do I? That's a threat. He means it. It's backed up with the power. I mean, it's in the Bible. And is this Bible stuff essential? Yes. Now, hey, just hold up real quick. What if I'm really uncomfortable with this message, though? Can I just put it on the back burner and not think about it? Joe's telling me no. Johnny's telling me no. Are these guys just really mean to me, or are they telling me the truth? They're telling me the truth. Just because it makes me uncomfortable, just because I've never looked at God this way, just because I've never really cared for this passage, none of that means I get to write it off. In fact, it probably means you need to lean into it and figure it out. Because how many of you have, uh, know for a fact that you've got a lot more time to live and deal with this stuff? You don't know when you're going to go. You don't know how much time you have. Deal with it today. Let's go on. Verse 23, and if, you, and if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. So he's talking about the Jews again. He's saying if the Jews stop their unbelief, come to faith in Christ Jesus, God can graft them right back in. They are not dead forever in their sins. Verse 24, after all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into its own olive tree? The Jews fit in God's kingdom much more readily, much more easily than we do. It's foreign to us. It is a love language for them. Verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. A mystery is something that's hidden that God reveals. Brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles comes in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. That's a pretty key passage right there. They were not condemned forever. Rather, they were displaced so that we could be given a place and then they come back in when enough Gentiles have come in. God has a plan. 
It doesn't make sense to us, and we don't, know, we don't know what that number is. How many more Gentiles need to come in until all of a sudden the hearts of the Jews change and everybody comes in? I don't know. Nobody knows that number. Hardly anybody thought it was going to take this long, almost 2,000 years, but that number is apparently pretty high. I posted a quote from John Wesley. I was reading through his thoughts on this yesterday, and I didn't think I'd bring it up in worship, and then I changed my mind because this is America, and I can choose my, change my mind if I want to. Um, when the full conversion of the Jews is accomplished, said John Wesley, it will be so strong a demonstration both of the Old and New Testament revelations as will doubtless convince many thousand deists. Anybody know what a deist is? It's a person who doesn't believe in a personal God. They just think God is like a creative force. It's like a clockmaker, made the world steps back, but he doesn't really care about me and you. There were a lot of deists in early America and Great Britain at that time. There are a lot of people today who think they're Christians. They're actually deists. They don't really believe in a God who's personally involved in our lives, who has emotions and cares. So he's saying, uh, it will doubtless convince many thousand deists. People who don't believe in a personal God, they will look at the Jews and go, oh, there is a personal God. He is known through the covenants of the Jews. In countries nominally Christian, anybody know what a nominal Christian is? It's a person who's a Christian in name only. They don't live any differently. They don't have different values than the culture around them. There are a lot of countries that say they're Christian, but they don't live any different from non-Christians. There are a lot of people who say they're Christian. They don't live any different. Those are nominal Christians. John Wesley is saying those people are going to be corrected, of whom there will, of course, be increasing multitudes among merely nominal Christians. So there are people who will be Christians in name only. They're going to see what God does with the Jews, and they're going to go, this is real. I'm stepping up in my faith. It, it's going to be an amazing day. And this will be a means of swiftly propagating the gospel among, he called them Mohammedans. Anybody know what Mohammedans are? Muslims. You know, it, they follow Muhammad, right? Mohammedans. And pagans, who would probably have received the gospel long ago if they had only conversed with real Christians. So that's a judgment on, on our culture, right? People who say they're Christians, but they don't actually act like Christians. There are so many people who would receive Christ if real Christians were talking to them. But all they hear is, is people who uh, talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. So John Wesley was excited for this prophecy here. He said, in the future, there's a future day where all of a sudden the hearts of the Jews are all turned and they all wake up and go, Jesus is clear the, clearly the Messiah. The Jews all receive Christ. And then that seems to be at the last days. The, the, enough, enough Jews come in, then all the, enough Gentiles come in, then all the Jews come in, and then even more Gentiles come in. It, it's going to be a huge harvest for Christ Jesus. Who here would love to see that? We're living in this time where the church is just shriveling up and seemingly dying in the West. Can you imagine a great reversal where every, all of a sudden everybody's like, there is power in the name of Jesus, and my life is about him, and I have died to self and been born again in Christ, and the Jews are coming in, and Muslims and pagans, and everybody's going, man, this is powerful. Right now everybody scoffs at Jesus, don't they? I turn on the TV, I don't see hardly anyone who actually believes in this Christianity stuff. A lot of people openly mock us for believing that, that the Bible is true, one day it's going to be revealed that they were the fools and we were the faithful. We're in verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So he's saying these are Old Testament prophecies from Isaiah, I'm pretty sure that foretell that all the Jews will come into the covenant community. They will put away faithlessness, and they will come in. Verse 28. 
As far as the gospel is concerned, what does gospel mean? Good news. Remember, God spelled good news. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. The Jews are your enemies for your sake. Can it be a good thing for you to have an enemy? Absolutely it can. You're not going to grow if you're not uncomfortable. Nobody grows if they're not uncomfortable. Uh, we have to be uncomfortable in order to, to, to let our faith actually be robust. You have to put your faith to the test. There are trials that come every day, a lot of them from enemies. We're called to love and pray for our enemies. The Jews were the enemies of the, the early church. Jews, if you want to look at it this way, are still our enemies because they refuse our Savior. Even so, our response is not hatred and condemnation. Our response is love. That is something that makes our faith real. How do you, a great way, you know, when you're trying to figure out, am I a nominal Christian? Am I one of these Christians in name only, or am I a real Christian? One of the greatest, easiest ways is to, how do you treat your enemies? Do you pray for them? Do you, do you pray for their well-being and want good for them? Or do you say, God, I hate that guy. Just, would you just get him away from me? Pain teaches us something. Anger teaches us something. Enemies teach us something. When you're walking in the light of his word, that's the condition. They are enemies for your sake, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. God loves the Jews even though they've turned away from him. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Did God call the Jews? Yes, that never got canceled, even when they were faithless. God has not quit them. Just as you, who were one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Is God merciful? So what we're looking at here is kind of a reversal of what happened in Exodus. Remember, he turned the hearts of Pharaoh and the Egyptians against him so that he could pour out his wrath on them. You remember that? Well, you need to read Exodus then, preacher's daughter. But here he's saying he's turned the hearts of the Jews and many Gentiles against him so that he can show mercy on them, pour out his mercy on them, not his wrath. God is going to show off how merciful he is. And then when the days are accomplished, the people's hearts will be changed. He will undo the hardness of their hearts and bring them into the fold as a show of his power and his mercy. I want to see this. I've got to see this. People of all ages always think they're in the end times because we want to see this stuff. This would be so amazing. Here's the last section of our chapter. Oh, the depths of the riches, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So he's now, he's told this mystery about why God has let the Jews fall away. And he said, this is the most wonderful, amazing, deep mystery that's now been revolved. God has the best plan. I didn't know why they were suffering. I didn't know why we were suffering. It all felt so pointless. God has a plan and this all fits in perfectly. Things are going to be so much better because we suffered for this short time and God is going to pour out his mercy on us forever. Now, that's not going to happen for people who say, well, I don't like how God's doing it, so I'm not sticking with God anymore. And that's one of the number one problems for people of our era. They don't like how God does things, and they say, okay, well, I just don't want to follow God then. I don't see why so-and-so had to die. I don't see why, why I have to suffer. It doesn't seem right to me. He's not a good God. I'm not going to follow this God. 
That way lies damnation. And if you love somebody, you don't let them go down this path. Let them read this, and if they don't understand it, that's because God wants them to, to remain stupefied. But this was written so that you and I could see that God's purposes will be fulfilled for our good and the good of the Jews, the good of the world. Everyone can and should be saved. Everyone will be saved who has faith in Christ Jesus. Christ is able. The thing is for us to have the faith and endure. That's why so much scripture is have faith, endure till the end. God is faithful. The question is, am I going to be faithful? Oh, the depth of the riches, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? You tell me, nobody. Nobody knows God's mind. Or who has been his counselor? Can anybody counsel God? What a ridiculous concept. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Can you put God in your debt? Absolutely not. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I, I preached at you today, knowing this could be my last sermon to you for a bit. Who knows what can happen? I want you to listen to these words. Whether or not my words make sense, the words of the Bible, those are the necessary ones. And I know I'm talking to a number of people who have suffered and it's felt pointless. Who are currently going through times of suffering and sorrow and misery and it's hard to imagine how God is going to bring it to something good. You don't need to understand. You don't need to see it coming. I don't have to paint you a picture. God already has. Everything's going to be right in the end. Believe, persevere. God is faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn, Rescue the Perishing, hymn number 591.